It's a 60 podcast presented by Min Sports. Seeps, how are you, mates? I'm good, mate. Now, this is the second one of our club reviews, so today we're focusing on the Cronulla Sharks. Seeps, Cronulla strike me as the team that you look at in the NFL or the NBA, where they just hover around the middle, and you actually, if you're a fan, you wish that they just totally bottom out to get the number one pick. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. That... They're always thereabouts. They're they're good enough to to absolutely smash the the poor teams. Then when they play against the good sides, they have the perception of struggling. At no point during the year did I actually think that they were a legitimate chance of winning the comp. I did think that they'd be you know scraping the the bottom of the four, but they're they're just they're a funny side, aren't they? Yep, and if you if you're in the NFL, the NBA, if you're a fan of one of those teams. If you don't think you can win the comp, you don't even want to be anywhere near the finals. Like if if you if you think you're going to come fourth, and maybe maybe you know sneak a game here and there, you would rather not make the playoffs at all. Well, the difference between the those sports and and the sport we love is, well, I love those sports as well, but the NRL is that you don't get a uh, a, a top draft pick. That's right. If you, if you bottom out, basically you get the chance to pay overs for people who aren't that good. <laughs> That's what happens in rugby league. That's right. So the narrative all year that Cronulla can't beat top eight teams. Uh, it's a it, not just this year, last year as well. It's been a real problem for them when they come up against the elite teams. Um, and it's it's one of those ones. Sorry to interrupt you, mate. But it's one of those ones where it's you talk about it being a narrative, but it's one of the narratives that are it's actually, a fact. It's true. Yeah. yeah. So. I don't know what they need to do to turn that around, but we'll have more of a discussion. Yeah. Uh, their middles are interesting. They signed Dale Finucane at the start of last year, right? So he's two years into his yeah. deal. It's a four-year contract. I love Dale as much as any Storm supporter. I appreciate what he's done, uh, particularly while at Melbourne. But paying big money for those guys, when paying big money for anyone, actually, when they're probably playing 40 minutes a game, it doesn't relate to success. Do you think someone like Dale Finucan is he's on the money that he's on for the length of time that he's on for more than just what he does on the footy field, though? Oh, of course, no doubt. I, I think they brought him for leadership. And I get that. I get that. Showing them how to train. I get that. But the fact of the matter is, you look at their team and there's no one bashing the door down in the middles that are going to be representative quality. Exactly right. And they lose Wade Graham as well from that, that left edge and... Wade Graham was still performing for them late in the year. I know it hasn't been the best version of Wade Graham the last 18 months, but the back end of this year, I thought he was really good for them. So they are going to miss him. They have Britton Okora, who is an out-and-out superstar, one of the best back rowers in the game. Yeah, he's, he's excellent, isn't he? But you look at the rest of their pack, and I just think there's a lot to be lot to be desired there. You know, there was there was a lot of promise with some of these guys like Toby Rudolph when they were first starting out, you know, even people like Tom Hazleton. Yeah. Um, but there's no... There's no one there that's screaming out that's going to be playing for New South Wales or Queensland or Australia anytime soon. No, no. But I do think a few of those guys had injury or suspension interrupted years. Um, Toby Rudolph comes to mind. He, he missed quite a, a chunk of the year at different times through different reasons, injuries, and I think he might have got suspended as well at one point. Um, I look at their side, and I'm just going through their semi-final team against the Roosters, and that was a game that I think everyone will agree they should have won. They set themselves up to win. They had all the field position, all the possession. They had 
13 while the opposition had 12 and they, they just couldn't get the job done. So, you know, that's something that they need to, to, to look at, review and reflect on why that happened. I look at this squad and think they need a really good centre because Talakai needs to move into the back row for mine. Talakai in on that left edge replacing Wade Graham or even at lock, I think um, could be an opportunity for them to, to try and reinvigorate the, the forward pack and bring a, a little point of difference. Because you, if you've got Nikora on one edge, say you bring Talakai onto the other edge, you've got really strong line running, hard carrying um, back rowers that can create opportunities for their halves and full back out the back. So that's one thing I'd look at. And I know that they've got young Iroh. So Kale Iroh, um, look, again, I've been waiting for him to get an opportunity and there could be a reason for it. He might not be a great trainer. He might not be as good as what I think he is. But the the snapshot that I saw of him in the World Cup last year and the couple of New South Wales Cups games I've seen him play, he looks like he's got something about him. We've come a long way since the six to go uh, rule came in. Uh, when it first came in, Tom had that unbelievable season. Outside backs really dominated, fullbacks in particular. But I think that we've come full circle now to where you need dominant middles. Absolutely. Yes. It's, a, it's a must. You look at the top four teams at the end of the year. So Penrith, obviously, they've got Lenu, Moses Leota, James Fisher-Harris, Isaiah Yo, got in spades. Uh, the Storm, Nelson, Christian Welch. And you look at the Broncos... Haas, Carrigan, Flegler, and you look at the Warriors, Fanil Blake, Toe Harris. And that's We're, that's why the the Storm and Warriors just they fell short because they absolutely. don't have enough good middles. No doubt in the world. So how can you look at this Sharks team and go, yeah, they can match it with any of them? Well, yeah, they, they just don't. In, in the middle, they don't match it with those sides. So it's it's something that they need to look at. They bought Oregon Kafusi from Para. I do think that they might have bought him thinking that, you know, he could be a solution. He could become a starting prop here. He's from a grand final, um, a grand finalist the year before. But Oregon Kafusi is a good, a good middle that comes on after 20, 25 minutes. That's, that's definitely the negative for the Sharks, the middles, right? But if we take a look at the positives, there definitely is some there. Their depth in the halves and, and backs is really what kept them alive throughout the year. So Braden yeah. Trendle, Connor Tracy could not have done any better for them when they came in. Their, their wingers are ex excellent. You know, Sione Katoa and Ronaldo Militalo, get them on the front foot. Like you said, Connor Tracy, um, Braden Trindle. I just still, though, for the life of me, can't believe that they've they've th thrown Moylan away. You know, 18th man or, or not in the squad for the last, was it 10 weeks, do you think, including, Probably. including final? I, I just don't get it. He was the person that was playing in the halves that got them to the position that they were in. He got them in the position. He helped get them in the position they were in last year. He had a couple of poor defensive games. Trindle come in and had an absolute cracker the first game or two. But then I looked at it and thought they needed someone like Moylan. Do you look at it, though, and you think, okay, yes, we totally acknowledge the positives of Moylan, but him and Nico are probably similar. Yeah, they are. And then you look at... But how's Trindle different? He's kicking games better than both of them. Yes. Yeah, it is. But does he defend any better? Does he steer the ship any better? Probably not. But the fact that Nico's not a dominant kicker hurts the cause. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Blake Braley doesn't do a lot of kicking out of dummy half. So all of a sudden, the pressure is on one of them to come up with something. And the fact that Braden Trindle, that's probably the best part of his game. So this ties back in now to what you said at the very start of this uh, pod around you know if it was an NFL or an NBA team you'd be wanting them to tank and 
and try and get a first round draft pick. Well, they need a first round draft pick. They need a half. They need a legitimate halfback, and that's going to take them being, sorry, take them from being a fourth, fifth, sixth on the ladder to a legitimate. They can win the comp. Yeah. Well, we'll take a quick break and be joined by Cronulla assistant coach Josh Hannay. There's not too many on the professional darts world tour looking like they have. That's a good point. Babysitting on the old LinkedIn bio. <laughs> They're the least trustworthy athletes of all time. Absolutely. Athletes in inverted commas. <laughs> I remember Phil Taylor Power. back when they used to be able to drink, and he would drink while he was playing, and they were just on the cusp of trying to get rid of booze in the sport. He said, "No, nah, you can't get rid of it. I use it for balance, so that I can throw the darts." <laughs> they go, "Well, couldn't you just hold a book?" He goes, "Mate." I can't drink 12 books while I'm playing darts. (laughs) For more nonsensical ramblings loosely based on sport, tune in to Mint Sports maybe daily, every week. Maybe. It's a 60 podcast presented by Mint Sports. Joining us to do the Cronulla Review is assistant coach Josh Hannay. Josh, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you guys? Good, thanks. I just want to start with the final. Um... Disappointing result, obviously, but can I get your takeaway from the final? Obviously, you would have rewatched it since. Yeah, uh, seems like a lifetime ago now. But <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was it was a tough game. Like we we knew coming into it that um, while the Roosters, for large parts of the year, probably underperformed in many people's eyes, they were a, they were a good side coming in, finally on a little bit of momentum. So we're under no illusions as to the challenge. And I just thought on the night we were. We were courageous and um, and tough and, and, and resilient. It was a there was very little in the game, obviously, but I just thought we probably just lacked some polish at different times to take our chances when we created them. And, and in those games, uh, semi-final football and against really good teams, um, you need to take those chances when you when you do create them because you don't get a lot of them. Um, generally speaking, in, in semi-final football, the defence is. Uh, goes up a notch and it gets harder to create chances and harder to score points. And certainly, I thought on the night we just we needed to take a couple more of our chances and and put a little bit of scoreboard pressure on the Roosters and 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 and, and with that also give ourselves a little bit of confidence. And uh, so no lack of effort, mate. Just we just lacked a little bit of polish on the night, unfortunately. Yeah, mate. We were actually talking about that before. Um, you know, at the end of the day, that ten minute period where you had the uh, numerical advantage on the field. It, it, one more try, or even if it was two more points, I think that nearly would have been enough to put the scoreboard pressure on and make life really tough. Because as you said, the Roosters had had a well an ordinary year for for them compared to what we all thought they were going to do at the start of the year. Because a lot of people were tipping them to you know make a GF or even challenge Penrith to win the comp, and um, and they didn't have a great year, but they were coming with momentum. So it was always going to be a tough ask. And and as you said, the effort was there like not one person could be faulted for the effort and the energy that they put into the game it was just that little bit of polish that you know probably fell over in that 10 15 minute period when the game could have been put away yeah and and on another day i think that you know the moment that stands out and he's he won our player of the year he's he's, um i'm his biggest fan but the blake bailey um knock on with the line wide open we had two guys going for the football if he Probably lets. I think it was um, Siffa um, had a, had a clean, probably shot at the ball. If he if he if he just allows Siffa Talakai um, to, to to get that ball, that puts us out by that sort of six to yeah. eight point uh, buffer uh, when they were down to twelve. And and I, I think 
given the nature of the game that night where it was very, very hard to generate opportunities and um, as a result, hard to score points. If we had got out to that sort of six or eight point buffer at home, I think we would have would have got our tails up and 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 it, you know obviously could have very much been a different um, different yeah. uh, result. But it's just one of those things, mate. We we that's how where we're at as a football team and a club. We're a young group. We're, we're trying to learn how to to win big games. Um, you know, thankfully we're putting ourselves into those contests, into big games. We've made finals the last two years and. The next step for us is, 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 is winning one of those big games. And, and, you know, it's an old saying, but they say you have to lose big games to learn how to, how to win them. And unfortunately, that, with that comes a bit of heartache. Uh, we've experienced that the last two years. But you like to think it's going to hold us in good stead moving forward. Josh, the, the narrative around the Sharks the past two years is that they can't beat top eight teams. Now, that, that is almost certainly becoming into a fact. Why do you think that that is? And what's your response to that? Yeah, listen. I think, I think um, to a degree it's fair, but I think to a degree it's 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 um, it's, it's a little bit of, of, of a tough um, judgment of us, if you like. I think the top eight's always um, fluid, right? Like, is, are we talking top eight from the previous year or current top eight? If you talk about top eight from the previous year, you know, we beat Parramatta, we beat the three preliminary finalists from last season, so. Coming into every year, you're judging yourself on the top eight from the previous year. So, by that measure, we we beat you know three of the top four teams from from last season. As we know, um, as I say, it's very fluid. The top eight, you come into a new year, some teams drop out, some teams force their way into the top eight. So, I get that argument, but I also think that um, it's not necessarily um, the exact picture. I think we. We, um, I, I, I take your point that that's the um, the label that we've we've sort of found ourselves with, and um, we'll, we've got to live with that. But I think for me the big one is winning a semi final. I think the last two years we failed to win a semi final when we put ourselves in a good position. You know, previous season the Cowboys at home were up by eight with about ten to ten to play. We should have put that game away, and then obviously the Roosters game we had our chances. So. For me, the bigger the bigger um, story, if you like, is our, our ability to win a semi-final game. That's that's the next step we need to take. Josh, I, want, I just want to talk about the forward pack of Cronulla for a second because if you look at the top four at the end of the year, this is something that we spoke about earlier. I don't think that there's any... I don't think it's any secret that the top four teams left at the end of the year all have a number of quality representative f- f- forwards. So you've got Penrith, they've got Leota, Fisher-Harris, Lenyu, Yo, Storm, Nelson, Christian Welch. Broncos have, um, you know, Payne Haas, Pat Carrigan, Tom Flegler, and the Warriors, uh, Adam Fennell, Blake, and Toe Harris. Uh, do you think that that's an area where all the teams that aren't there at the end of the year can really look at to say, hey, the game's actually come full circle now the, since the six-to-go rules come in. When it first came in, it was very backs-dominated, but now quality forwards are still key. Oh, absolutely. I think you look at... History would show that teams that win the comp don't do it with average forward packs. Um, they're still the the guys that lay the platform, and it's still the, the the big games are won in the middle middle third of the field. And and I think to your point about you know um, big name players and and, and and star forwards, I think when you look at our squad um, and our forward pack certainly is a reflection of our squad at large. We're, I think we we have less representation at, at state of origin level than any other team in the competition, aside from the Warriors, for obvious reasons. So um, I think what we have is a, is a really consistent football team. Um, I think we get the most out of ourselves. 
and I think what our job as a coaching group is we're we're doing everything we can to turn some of our good players into into representative players. So we we, we, we you start to get some of your individuals exposed to big game football by playing in things like state of origin and test match football. So it's it's a little known so I guess statistic and we certainly are actually proud of that fact of what we get out of our group because um, yeah we even the teams at the bottom four have more representation in state of origin than what we do as a football side. So we're, our job as a coaching group is to, as I say, maximise what we've got, but also try and get some progression in in a lot of the good players we think we have. We feel like we've got some guys that are on the cusp of rep football, but it's our job to get them there. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's the job of a coach is to try and get them or get the most out of each individual. And, and mate, are you enjoying the, the coaching side of things? So you're a few years into it now. Um, yeah, obviously, you've had some success there with, with Cronulla over the last couple of years. Do you enjoy it? Are you getting a kick out of it like you thought you might? Yeah, I feel like um, it's funny. I bumped into Tim Brasher the other day. We I played with Tim back in the late 90s and I hadn't seen him for a lot of years. And you know, he asked me basically a similar question. He spoke about coaching and, and I, my answer to him was, I feel like I found my calling. Um, I feel like, um, yeah, it sits well with me coaching and I... I enjoy every minute of it. I enjoy all aspects of it. I enjoy the, I guess, um, the technical, tactical side of, of, of developing individuals. I enjoy the, the game planning side of, you know, creating plans to, I guess, bring undone your opposition, but also creating plans to, 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 to stop your opposition. I enjoy the relationship side of it. Um, so I really do enjoy all aspects of coaching. Um, you know, obviously, with it comes losing, and with it comes a lot of tough times and a lot of you know heartache. But I think that the the positives of of what we do as coaches far outweigh those those negatives. And um, yeah, so to answer your question, I really do enjoy um, you know the coaching caper. Yeah, because it, it takes a special breed of person to to really get a kick <laughs> out of some of those things. And, and and I know exactly what you're talking about when you can sit down and and analyse whether it's a team you're about to play or performances that you've put together as a as a team and work on things. Um, well, identify things that need to be worked on and then put plans in place to fix those problems or nullify an opposition um, plan. You really do get a kick out of it. And and I think um, yeah, as you said it. It's a it's a calling for some people, and, and it's a special type of person that can do it. I think, mate. The other question I've got for you is, well, as a coach, you always see that there's certain players that, well, maybe someone didn't see a great deal in them, but you can identify that there's something special there. Um, it might be someone that may have been great a couple of years ago, and you've found a way to get them back to um, where they could be or, or, or should be. Have you got an example of that of someone that you've really invested some time in um, over the last couple of years at Cronulla and, and now you're starting to, to see the rewards? And is there someone we should look you know, look out for in the next couple of years? Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, you put me on the spot a little. Uh, on, on, I guess off the top of my head, the guy that comes to mind for me uh, would be Jesse Ramian. I think when I got to the club, um, Jesse's always been a, a guy coming through that's had a lot of talent. Um and and I think he's like a lot of those young guys that come through with a lot of talent, a lot of expectation, a big boom, for want of a better term, on them. When they don't immediately live up to that ability, that talent, that boom, they can kind of um, drift and wander for a little bit in our game. And, and a lot of them go out the back door. Some survive it and come out the other end. And, and for me, 
Jesse, when I got to the club, was a guy that was teetering. It was like, is this guy going to reach his potential or is he going to fall through the cracks? And, and I've got to say, the last couple of years, um, been working closely with Jesse and to see uh, the player he is today, and not only the player, but the man he is. He's, he's, he's um, just had a newborn. Um, he's come so far, and, and, and they're the kind of guy that I, I would have to say um, stands out to me as someone that I, I, I've seen come a long way and I feel like Jesse's now at a point where the next five, six, seven years he will maximise his potential and um, who knows he, he's probably one of those guys we're looking at could could get to that representative level Yeah definitely, it wouldn't surprise me if he if he played Origin. Well Jesse's part of the positives of Cronulla, there's no doubt, the outside backs are fantastic but the thing that I wanted to touch on Josh was Something that probably saved you guys in the end this year from sliding out the back of the eight was the depth in key positions. And I, namely, I'm talking about Braden Trindle and Connor Tracy. Can you talk to me about what those guys did for you in a period where you really had to rely on them? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Look, we, we're at a bit of a crossroads, uh, probably with about six weeks to go. And, you know, we had some big decisions to make as a, as a coaching group. Obviously, the biggest one was, was Braden Trindle in for Matt Moylan. Connor Tracy um, decision was obviously forced through Will Kennedy's injury, but the Braden Trindle one was a was a big one for us because it was when you make a decision like that, it it's not a you know a week or two fix. It's like we're we're commit, committing to this young player um, with 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 hope and confidence that we've you know we've seen enough of him that you know we're confident in the decision we're making, but it's not a it's not a sure thing. So. I thought Braden did a wonderful job. Um, one of the real key things he brought to our game was it was a, a genuine kicking option for, for Nico Hines. Up until that point, Nico would have been doing 90, 95% of our kicking. That sort of went to about a 50-50 uh, share between him and Braden, so that took some load off, off Nico. Um, so that was... And I thought over the back end of the year, he showed what we all see, and we've, we've seen Braden Trindle as the future of our club for some time in terms of being one of the halves in this. And this club, and then Connor Tracy, you know, for mine, he's, if you want of a better term, a poor man's Dylan Edwards. Like, he's a he's a heart and soul guy that goes out there and, and gives his all every single time he takes the field. And, and it just felt like at that time where we needed um, some of that, some of that energy, uh, Connor was the guy to bring a very different player to Will Kennedy. Uh, doesn't have the flash or the necessarily the silk of a Will Kennedy, but... It was almost like at that time we didn't need flash and silk. We needed um, hardness and, and, and courage and, and guys just to, to, to give it their best. And, and I thought Connor embodied that. Um, and probably no player in our team embodies that more than Connor Tracy. So it was almost like those two guys at that point um, were the circuit breakers we needed. To, as I say, our season was teetering, but they, they certainly helped turn it in the right way for us. Connor Tracy is one of those blokes that every time you you know flicking channels and a New South Wales Cup game comes on and you see him playing New South Wales Cup, I used to think to myself, how on earth is this bloke not playing NRL somewhere? He's just yeah, all effort. He's got that spark, as you said. He's very similar traits to to Dylan Edwards, um, but yeah, he's just one of those guys that at times I, I haven't. It's done my head in thinking that there's got to be clubs out there that need someone like him in their 13. Just just on that Josh the, you mentioned the crossroads there and the and the situation that you guys found yourself in there was a 44-12 to 12 loss to the Warriors there was a 30-26 to 26 loss to Manly but the damage was done very early in that game and then 28-0 to Penrith can you talk me through Craig Fitzgibbon's uh, mindset at the time because if he had hair I'm sure he would have been pulling it out being a defensive guy 
Yeah, it was, I guess, probably in his short um, time as a head coach was the toughest period that, that Craig's probably experienced. And, and you never see those periods coming in your season. Like, we, we have a real consistency about how we prepare. Uh, we always back our preparation and go into each week feeling good about our preparation and feeling, you know, like our chances any given week are are really strong and, and that I've got to say that period challenged all of us um, I'd just come out of origin um, on a high but I was certainly brought me back down to reality and I, I think one of your jobs as an assistant coach is to um, energise the head coach and, 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 and give the head coach solutions not problems he's, he's got a lot of problems as it is um, external not just going on within the club so I think one of your key understandings as a, as a good assistant coach is is as, as I say, give energise your head coach, give him solutions, not problems. And I thought I think here at the club we're really fortunate. I'd like to think we've got one of the better staff in the competition. Steve Price is at the club, um, currently working with the Kiwis, been a head coach in his own right at the Dragons. So I'd like to think um, as a collective we we were able to navigate through that period really well. Took some chances, the Braden Trindle, uh, the obvious one, but we also. We also were smart enough to not just bury our head in the sand and, and just continue to do the same thing day in, day out. As I said, there's a consistency about how we prepare, but there's also we're smart enough to go, hey, listen, we we need to just change a couple of things here. We need to we need to um, energise the group. We need to um, get a response from the group. So I, I think as a collective, we're really proud of how we approach that period and um, and we're able to navigate the, the, the team through those those rough waters. The last major talking point I've got for you, Josh, is uh, about Nico Hines and in particular the period around Origin this year. In in my opinion, this is my words, I think he was set up to fail in State of Origin. I think if he was to be picked, he should have either been picked at, uh, in the halves or not at all. Can you talk to me about Nico post-Origin and that experience? Yeah, I think, um, I think it was no doubt in his short time as an elite Football and Nico, obviously the hardest period of his his career. Um, I just I feel like um, until State of Origin one this year, he'd been on this upward trajectory with with his game, with his profile. Um, you know, the love affair from the media towards him, everything had been uh, going in the right direction for him, and it was like it just it, it come to this almost shuddering sort of halt where. Um, he got a couple of really, um, probably brought back down back down to earth again for want of a better term. Like he, he probably in many people's eyes was expected to be named as a starting half in game one. Uh, that didn't come. Um, obviously how game one ended and his involvement in that um, was really hard on him and then not to be picked in game two. So I think coming out of that, um, it took him some time to um, find his feet again. I think he... Even he would say he was hung up on, on that whole experience. Um, he, he carried that weight for a number of weeks, but I think uh, I think by the end of the year he, he, he sort of freed himself of that burden. And ultimately, you know, long term, I've got no doubt it'll hold him in really good stead. Um, you know, I think we learn a lot from our knocks in this game, and, and your ability to bounce back from them is what sustains you in this game. And I think. As I say, he that was the first really difficult time since he's reached stardom that he had to deal with. And the Nico Hines I saw at the back end of the year was certainly more like the Nico we all knew. He was, 
he was freer in himself. He was training with a smile on his face, and and I think this um, selection of for him in the Australian team for the back end of the year here, that's going to do him a world of good. I, I spoke to him yesterday. Um, couldn't have been more excited to be part of it. Um, said he's had multiple discussions with Daly Cherry Evans, Ben Hunt. I was trying to tell him to steer himself towards the Queenslanders. They're better blokes than the Blues, and <laughs> spend as much time as he can with those guys. And um, he's. You can just feel like he's, yeah, the burden of what transpired over the Origin series has, has um, subsided and I think he's going to bounce into next year. What's it like from your perspective when you have to coach against your own players at Origin? Like the most famous example is, of course, Craig Bellamy coaching against the big three in Origin back in the day. But what's it like when you have to coach against your own club player? Yeah, well, fortunately, I didn't have to, as he you know, wasn't a starter in the halves, but I was bracing for the... For that um, um, eventuality, that Nico would be a starting half for New South Wales at some point. And um, listen, I, I, when you get to that point, um, all club sort of loyalties are pushed to the side. And, and I would have liked to have thought that, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have left any stone unturned. Put it this way, in terms of our preparation and in how to handle Nico, um, my feelings are that he should have been there. I, I don't, I don't think. And this is sometimes the issue for the Blues. They've got so many players to choose from that they, they it, it 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 doesn't allow them to pick the right team. Um, and I thought they 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 probably got their halves combination wrong from from the outset uh, until game three. Obviously, I think everyone was talking like Nico and Cody Walker should have been there, been there and thereabouts throughout the whole series. And 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 had Nico been there, it would have I wouldn't have left as I say any stone unturned in, in how we would have handled him. Mate, um, obviously, you know, footy takes you many places. You started off in, in northern Queensland and now you're living in Cronulla and working at Cronulla and you spent time overseas. I actually uh, caught up with a, an old teammate of yours and mate of yours a few days ago, Ian Webster. And uh, oh, yes. I, I can only imagine, mate, what it would have been like having to deal with an 18, 19-year-old Webby at the Celtic Crusaders. Yeah, mate, he was... So when I went over there, I well and truly had my tail between my legs. I've been... Uh, basically sacked by Cronulla and it was um, I'm a bit of a homebody coming from central Queensland so going over the other side of the world I was I was a little bit down and out and um, you know I, my heart really wasn't in it to be really honest with you and, and uh, me and Webby um, struck up a, a friendship pretty much immediately and um, it was the thing we had in common was our, was our love for Liverpool so once I got, got over there and we got talking about Liverpool Possibly a beer was the other love we had in common, well. <laughs> and um, a good time. And so, so our love of Liverpool and, and a beer just—you know—we were two peas in a pot over there. And um, such a such a good dude, um, really good mate, and and it, we grew a really strong friendship um, in our in, in, in my time over there. And um, yeah, super guy, and um, you know, hope he's doing really well up there in Los Angeles. Yeah, he is, mate. He's a good follower. But he actually <laughs> told me about you walked in on him cooking his first ever meal for himself. He was trying to tell me yeah. something, something like he had a he'd cooked he'd, he'd grilled an onion, had a packet of Pringles, and had boiled two bits of broccoli. Mate, he had the worst diet in the world, like a lot of poms do. It was like I used to see the food he would eat, and and I'm not saying like I'm not like Jamie Oliver by any stretch, but like I remember saying to him one day, mate, just eat some veggies. Like seriously, you need to yeah. put something good into your body. So. I'm sure he eats a lot better now. Than I don't think he does, mate. I don't think he does. <laughs> hey, Josh. <laughs> hey, Josh. What's your off season look like, mate? 
Um, pretty cruisy. I, I could just touch on them. I'm very much a, a homebody. I, well, for me, re- relaxation is still a balance of, of work, um, you know, watching sport, having a punt, hanging with the family, you know, the kids. Um, I don't like to ever stray too far from home base. So to this point, I um, haven't done a whole lot next week. I'm just going to go down south, uh, a little place called Mollymook for a week with the family. Um, everyone I no, seems to be a Bali at the moment. I'm, I think I'm the only person that's not in Bali, but um, that, that's that's what makes me happy is that um, you know being close to familiar things. Um, you know, so I'm a pretty simple guy in that regard, and I think it's got a lot to do with growing up in Warrnambool. Yeah. Well, Josh, we appreciate your time as always, mate. Thanks very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. No, great to talk, guys. Keep up the good work.